I think you just have to listen and not pass judgment and just say, I hear you. Because as somebody who has um, experienced these things and kept them inside for so long, we think that nobody could possibly understand what we've been through or how we're feeling. And we don't need necessarily somebody to solve the problems. We just need somebody to know that we've been heard. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials. Here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast. I am really excited to introduce you this week to Natalie Miller, who is a clinical aromatherapist and comes from an education and training background with a Bachelor of Education and training and a Graduate Diploma of Education. Since completing her qualification, she has worked in aged care as a trainer and assessor at the at, at an RTO, as a writer of essential oil blogs, as a ghostwriter, and as a social media manager for various therapists. Now, the beautiful thing about this amazing soul is that she believes continuous improvement and professional development are key components to move the aromatherapy and I dare say the personal growth industry forward. She is active with the aromatic community, supporting her fellow Australian practitioners and aromatherapy businesses, and she's held positions on the IAAMA Council. Natalie has appeared on radio, television, online webinars, and has been a speaker at various IAAMA events. You can find her online at www.aromaticinsights.com. I know you're going to enjoy this week's podcast. Not only do we talk about her love and what drew her into the power of aromatherapy, but also over the past five decades of her life, where she's come from, her story as a young girl and the things she suffered and how she has slowly but surely crawled and navigated her way through to come out the other side, one of the most beautiful, liberated and inspiring souls I know you're going to enjoy her advice around oils and those of you that enjoy natural therapies, you're going to really love the way she has woven this into owning herself and her own story. Get ready for the ride of your week. Take care, guys. Don't forget to go to the Facebook page, Kim Morrison, where you can post your comments and feedback, or you can see me on Instagram at Kim Morrison and the number 28. Or by all means, go to our beautiful thewellnesscouch.com forward slash self-love podcast. Thank you for your five-star ratings. Thank you for all your questions around our beautiful self-love and self-care, essential self-care weekend that we have coming up here on the Sunshine Coast in August and in Victoria in October. It's slowly but surely filling, and I can promise you that is a life-changing weekend. Um, I'm really looking forward to presenting it. And also don't forget to go to the 28.com page, not only under events for the more information on those, but also under education, where we are launching different various online masterclasses, which I'm sure you will also find to be an incredible, wonderful platform for learning in the comfort of your own home. Take care, guys, and I know you're going to enjoy this week's Self Love Podcast. 
So I'm pretty excited, as you can tell, this week to introduce introduce you to a beautiful soul, the amazing Natalie Miller. What an honor and a privilege to have you on the Self Love Podcast, darling. Thank you so very much for inviting me along to chat with you and your listeners today. Oh, you know, you're someone who just quietly gets on in the background and just does some extraordinary work. But, you know, before we get into all the things you're doing in this day and age, Natalie, would you be so kind to take us back into your journey and to give us a brief history as to how you came to being here, right here on the Self Love Podcast? Okay. So my journey to self-love has been, um, I guess, a lifelong journey. Essentially, we grew up poor. We grew up in housing, commission housing. Both my parents grew up in orphanages. So we didn't have a large extended family, um, which was, you know, interesting in itself. But the family that we did have, it wasn't, you know, as great as it appeared to be. Um, I was sexually abused as a child, which uh, messed with my self-worth, my self-value, how I viewed the world, how I viewed myself and what I thought about myself. And also during that time, I was being bullied (laughs) by, you know, in my school years and when I was dancing I was bullied there as well um, so you know on one hand I was there was this abuse from a male perspective and then in the other side there was bullying from the female perspective so my sense of self was for want of a better word screwed <laughs> um, so that took a uh, took me to a a very dark place for a while and it was um, in about the mid-90s that I completely obviously crashed. I uh, fell into a a place of depression and I remember um, going to a metaphysical bookshop that was in my area so I was just wandering around, you know, just in this dark place and I was attracted into this store and it was just filled with oils and beautiful books and all these things, crystals. And so I purchased some oils and purchased some crystals and some books and I thought, right, this will be good. And it was, it was great. But I kept looking at things from an intellectual point of view. I still didn't allow myself to open my heart space. So I essentially you know, go, right, that's what's, what, what's happened to me. I put it in a box and I put the lid on it and closed it down. And, you know, life took me on different paths and all the rest of it. Um, and then... When I hit 40, um, I had just started a, a new career in primary teaching and the lid on that box finally exploded again. Um, and so I was in that dark place again and I was like, right, how do I, how do I get out of this again? Because I'm a bit of a stubborn one in that case. It's like I, I, can, I can help myself here. And so, again, I went looking at what I could do. And I came across 
two books and one of them was called You Sexy Mother and that one um, actually helped me because I was, you know, dealing with I had young children and just trying to, to cope with being a mother and all the rest of it. And the other book, you might have heard of it, it was called Like Chocolate for Women. <laughs> <laughs> And and inspired by those two books, I decided to write a bucket list. Now, I never called it a bucket list. I called it um, living life list. It's like what are the things that I always wanted to do with my life that I never, you know, at that point had done. So I wrote this list. Um, and one of the things that I wrote on the list was learn aromatherapy. Um, so I enrolled myself into a two-year diploma, as you do. <laughs> and that's how I got into uh, aromatherapy. Um, and initially still I, I kept the lid on my heart space. I didn't delve in. I looked at it from a very intellectual point of view. Even when we started using essential oils and learning about them, I was kind of like, I remember the teacher that one day saying um, about a particular topic and she goes, oh, it just is. And I'm like, but why? Um, and because that's all, always my thing, but why is it that way? Why do things, you know, why, why, why? <laughs> and when I was a kid, my mum used to say, uh, why is a crooked letter and can't be straightened? And that used to annoy me so much because I just wanted to know why things were the way they were. And so as um, I went, you know, started into the journey of aromatherapy, I came across obviously lots of people's work, but one in particular stood out. Actually, on the day I enrolled into the uh, diploma course, I purchased Robbie Zek's book, The Blossoming Heart. I was immediately drawn to that. And I flipped through it and I thought, oh, this is good. This is good but I didn't delve into it. I still, you know, wasn't ready to, to delve into that heart space. And so the journey over the last 10 years has been, you know, slowly taking the layers off and, and delving into that heart space and learning to love myself. Um, and when I turned 50 last year, I kept saying, Imagine starting the second half of my life from a place of love. So I wanted to learn how to love who I was, exactly how I was in the skin that I'm in. Um, so you'll hear me say things like, you know, I'm fat. And a lot of people go, oh, no, you can't say that or whatever. And it's like I can say it about myself because I've learned to accept it and that it's not an insult for me to say it. When other people say it against me, they've used it as an insult and that's, you know, hurt my heart space. But now I kind of go, okay, that's just the way it is. Doesn't mean that, you know, I'm not worthy or unlovable. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of been my long, sorry, that was supposed to be a short intro, wasn't it? <laughs> my long journey into where, where I got to be. Oh. It's interesting, when I was thinking about this, I used to have this, had um, a reoccurring dream or reoccurring vision about that I was like an onion and that if I um, kept delving into these things in my, within my heart, that if I got to the core, nobody would like me. 
And that was my innate fear was that nobody would love me. But what I actually discovered um, through uh, working with Robbie Zek was that it actually wasn't an onion. It was a flower and the flower was actually blossoming and it was opening up. And so those layers were actually the layers of a flower opening up. And once I realised that, I um, sat more comfortable within that heart space and spoke from that space instead. Yes. Incredible story, Natalie, and one that whilst the details may not always be exactly the same or identical, the essence of the story of challenge around our worthiness, who we are, the things that have happened to us in our lives. Just going back, because it's such a big topic, the, the topic around abuse and bullying, standing here now in your 50s, a mother, a beautiful woman inside and out, what would be your greatest advice to someone either who's been through that or experiencing that? Because bullying doesn't just happen at school. It can happen, you know, ongoingly. Same with abuse. It doesn't just have to be sexual. It can be emotional, physical. There seems to be a lot of this disharmony at the moment or maybe we're just talking about it more. What would your advice be to someone who's been through that or going through it? Um, I think it, the, the bottom line is to don't keep it to yourself, is to find somebody that you can trust, whether that's a therapist or um, someone beyond your immediate friendship group because they might be able to understand and, and having an, somebody who's in your immediate friendship group, they may pass judgment so having somebody external to that um, is actually more useful because they would be less likely to pass uh, judgment. And you don't need judgment at that, at that time. You just need somebody to listen, to validate what you're feeling and how it's affected you. Um, but, yeah, just talk it out. Um, by bottling it up, which is what I did for half of my life, kept bottling it up. You know, nothing, we can't keep things bottled. Eventually it's either got to explode up and out or in and down. Um, so, you know, either through depression or some big blow up that people might have. Um, so, yeah, we've got to just keep, know that you, you, are, you are worthy, you are enough, regardless of what is happening to you find somebody to talk to about it there is somebody out there who will listen and understand and help and support you I think it's such profound advice I was at a book launch on the weekend a book and I will have this woman on the show at some point but her book is called Dangerous Animals in the Home a woman that went through sexual abuse from her own father she carried that for something like 20-25 years the biggest thing I took from reading her book was not just the abuse she endured and her brother and sister didn't have the same abuse, thankfully, in her words, but the biggest thing was not so much her speaking up about it, but something you just touched on. It was other people's reaction to that news where they saw him as an upstanding 
you know, member of society or a good guy or a funny guy or whatever. They didn't see the animal she saw. And I think that was one of the hardest things that she noticed was that it was the reaction of everybody. And I think what you're saying, the judgment or the lack of awareness around hearing news like that. To somebody listening to this that, you know, does get told some pretty tragic opening hard opening news like this, what would be your advice to the person who gets told this news? I think you just have to listen and not pass judgment and just say, I hear you. Because as somebody who has um, experienced these things and kept them inside for so long, we think that nobody could possibly understand what we've been through or how we're feeling and we don't need necessarily somebody to solve the problems we just need somebody to know that we've been heard so if somebody comes to you with with whatever story um, that they have just validate that you've heard what they're saying i think it's interesting and i think that could go across all levels whether there's abuse or not, right? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Perhaps one of the greatest tools that we could ever have in our repertoire of being a good human is to actually listen and allow somebody to be heard without judgment or the desire to fix or please or do something with it. As a mum, as a mum and as a wife and as as a woman, a businesswoman and an entrepreneur, all the things that you do, Um, What would be the greatest things that you took away from, you know, maybe what you have learnt now as to what you can bestow on your family, your partner and your children? Wow, what a great question. Um, I think I, I, well, I hope that they see me um, as somebody who will listen to them um, although it is hard when your children are talking about Roblox and Minecraft and things like that. So being a mum of boys is a very different kettle of fish. Um, but they know that they can come to me with whatever they have, whatever, you know, is going on in their lives. Um, and they're at that age where, you know, they don't necessarily want to share. You know, they're in those early teen years. Um, but I've tried to create a space where, they can come and talk to me. And I, you know, I haven't done it in a while, obviously, been in the times that we've been in over the last 12 months. But I would just take them out one-on-one and we just, you know, go for coffee together or um, just hang out just with one child, not both of them together, and just, you know, create that connection with each other. And the same with my husband, you know, we spend time, just the two of us, you know, we call it date night. We're going out tonight to more music because I love my music, live music. Um, So, yeah, just I think that's probably, um, well, as I said, I hope that they see me as somebody that they can talk to about whatever it is going on in their lives. And I think that uh, people who uh, know me in the the business space as well know that they can come and talk to me about things because, I do have a lot of people come to me with different stories about, you know, essential oils and incidents and accidents or 
what's happening in their business. And they know that it doesn't go beyond the discussion that we're having. I, I hear lots of stories, but I never share who said what to me about what. So I'm very good. I guess it's keeping secrets, but keeping the stories and I use them to inform how I speak with others in the future or, you know, how I communicate, if that it's makes a, sense. Totally. It's a real respect, isn't it? It's like it's it's honouring someone's openness. It's honouring someone's reality or version of reality and it's honouring it's their story to tell should they ever wish to. And, Absolutely. And I, and I think what what you're really teaching us is that it's okay for you to own your story. It's okay for you to share your story. It's okay for you to be you. And out of that, in the same respect, it's also really beautiful to keep that reverence and respect in return to someone else who opens their heart. I just want to say, you know, hand on heart on behalf of the listeners and I that, you know, to hear your story is 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 sad and it's challenging and it's it's harrowing, it's horrific. I, I don't know why some people have to go through such hardship, but do you have any philosophical or spiritual or meaningful reason as to why some people have to endure such hardship? I've tried to reconcile that over the years, try to work out you know, not the why me kind of whingy side, but the intellectual side of me goes, you know, why why was this my story? Why was this my journey? What do I have to learn from this? Um, and I still haven't come up with an answer as to why some people, you know, have these harrowing stories or events and things happen to them. Um, but I've tried to... Um, turn those things into how I can make the world a better place and not repeat the patterns of the past um, because I know with um, my my abuser who was my uncle as I said at the beginning you know both my parents grew up in an orphanage I know that my father was abused in the orphanage so I can assume that that happened to my uncle and so he was repeating the patterns. Well, I chose to, for the, that, that pattern to stop with me. Um, but to take the learnings from that and, and try and make the world a better place, as philosophical and fluffy as that sounds, but, uh, yeah, try to, to not continue those, um, yeah, horrible things of the past. And even the same with bullying is to... You know, I'm first one to put my hand up and say, oh, there was a while there that I was not a nice person. Um, you know, when, especially when I was dealing with, you know, all the things that were going on, um, I lashed out and, yeah, I was not nice to people. And, and I'm sure some people who knew me at that point would say, oh, yeah, she wasn't very nice. But that's because I didn't know how to deal with all these things that were going on that nobody else knew about. And so what's the saying? Hurt people hurt people. And that's exactly what I was doing. Um, so I guess my philosophical point of view is that, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Which is pretty philosophical. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm still developing what that is. Yeah. It's a journey. I, oh, I totally, I just, I, I'm sorry that we both cracked up then, but I think it's actually really <laughs> profound that the, the most philosophical, philosophical place we can be in is a place of unknowing. I find it interesting what you touched on there, you know, that you weren't being very nice because, but also because people didn't know why you weren't being nice. Does it ever occur to you now then when someone isn't being nice to you or to your children or to your partner or people that you love, do you now instantly go into, hmm, I wonder what's going on for them? Has that given you that kind of an insight? I have the instantaneous ones of why are you doing that to my child or, you know, what's going on here? But then also, hmm, what's behind that? So I have both of those opposing thoughts at the same time, which is really, you know, I'm a Gemini, so I get them all at the same time, the both sides. Um, yeah, I do. Mm. I do. And it's quite interesting, hurt people hurt people. I know myself, if I'm tired or stressed or overwhelmed, not feeling good enough, maybe, and all of that comes from a place of, of trying to do too much maybe at times or feeling like I'm not valued or any of those things. When I behave badly, I know that it's driven from a way deeper place of, you know, and often it can just be fatigue. Do you think then what is what are your go-tos when you know you yourself goes into those places of fatigue or exhaustion or not, you know, taking as good a care of yourself or having to do too much? What are your go-tos then to help you uh, fast track out of that space so that you don't hurt people that you love? Great question. My first one is generally sleep. <laughs> um, I retreat into my sanctuary of my bedroom and I just sleep. Um, I'm really good at falling asleep at various places. I might necessarily stay asleep, but, you know, good old Nana nap does wonders um, and it helps refresh the brain. But obviously essential oils, um, they've been my go-to for the last 10 years more so than than ever before um and also just little um I've got a little um bunch of I am statements that help me get back into my right uh mindset and I try and say them as a little ritual every morning and night and yeah if I I notice myself falling into these bad habits I'll be like oh that's right I haven't been doing my little rituals so I keep bringing those those back could you share with us what a couple of those might be okay so my they're they're really simple but I just say I am happy I am healthy I am wealthy I am wise I am beauty I am love let me just say that I am happy I am healthy I am wealthy I am wise I am beauty I am love did I say that right? Absolutely. Oh, I've got goosebumps. That is so beautiful. Oh, do you have that on your mirror or do you put that somewhere? Because I think that could be really a really beautiful thing to put on your children's mirror, to put on your own mirror, to put in your handbag, to make your screensaver. Like that's pretty powerful. Yeah, I used to when I first started saying it, I, I used to have it written down. 
but now I can say it super quick. <laughs> I just I just know what I get to say. It's like I'm happy, I'm healthy, I'm wealthy, I'm wise, I'm beauty, I'm love. Um, but when you slow it down and really sit in that space, um, and I say it first thing in the morning, like in the morning I have to get up and have my um, thyroid medication and I, and I take that. And whilst I'm standing in the kitchen, I'll do my love, grace and gratitude from the beautiful Robbie Zek. And then I'll pour myself a glass of water. And as I'm taking sips of the water, I say to myself, I am happy, I am healthy, I am wealthy, I am wise, I am beauty, I am love. And so it's like drinking in those words as well. It's not just hearing them, it's drinking it in. Yeah. So beautiful. (laughs) So, so beautiful. Let's go back into, you know, your love of oils. And, you know, I didn't realise those were the two books that you came across at that time. And I just want to acknowledge you for still putting yourself out there whenever you've gone into a funk or a bad place. It's almost like it's, it's your angels calling you to go look for a book or a crystal or an oil or something. We, we, we sometimes need things to pull us out of those funks. Tell us a little bit about that. I, I just, I'm flabbergasted that our book was one of, the, one of the books that got you through that time. And I'd just love to know why you think it was those two books, You Sexy Mama and Like Chocolate for Women. Yeah, I don't even know how I came across them, to be honest. They just came up on my uh, Facebook feed. And something just, yeah, something drew me to them. And I, I kind of read the blurbs that were being written about them. And I'm like, that's just what I need. And probably uh, like chocolate for women because I kind of liked oils anyway. I didn't really know much about them at that stage, you know. I obviously knew eucalyptus and tea tree and lavender, you know, like most Australians probably already do Um, but I didn't really know much more than that I obviously knew about rose as well because I remember smelling that in my mid-20s in a shop that I was in but yeah it was just something that I, I found interesting and I always wanted to know so yeah and it's interesting how just reading a book about aromatherapy I'm like right I'm gonna write a bucket list like how random is that? But I guess what they really inspired me to look at my life and go, you know, I'm not happy in this space that I was in and the only person who can change that is me. So what can I do to live the life that I want to live, not be um, coming from that place of hurt and disappointment and all the rest of it? What can I do? And it's really interesting that the year that I wrote that list, that uh, three things that I did on that list in in the one year. So the one first one was obviously learn aromatherapy. I enrolled in the two-year diploma. I wrote on that list that I wanted to um, bungee jump. That year we went to New Zealand for our holidays and I was like, if I'm going to bungee jump, I've got to do it in the birthplace of the bungee. So I did that. And my children watched me bungee jump. <laughs> and I also wrote on there that I wanted to meet my favourite band, which was In Excess. And I won a competition on Facebook to meet the band as well. So 
it's interesting how, you know, once you get your uh, goals set in concrete or write them down, not just have them in your head, you write them down, the universe conspires to make them happen. Okay, before we go into the aromatherapy, I'm now sidetracking. You got to meet <laughs> an excess. You got to hang out with them and you won that competition. Do you honestly think it was because you wrote it on your your beautiful list of things that you wanted to achieve? Yeah, because it, it's kind of like putting it out there that, you know, that's what I wanted to do. And who knows, the competition would have happened anyway. Um, but, you know, once I... I probably wouldn't have tried as hard to try and win it with my friend if I hadn't have had it written down. Well, you certainly were living your life, were your living <laughs> life list. Okay, now I want yeah. to talk about the other thing. Oh, first of all, actually, before we go on there, was it as amazing as you thought it could be, meeting them? Um, it was. It was great. It was short, obviously. You know, it's a competition. You don't get to, like, hang out with them for hours or anything. But I do have photographic evidence of it. So, you know, I was like, it would have been more wonderful had um, my beautiful Michael Hutchins still been with us and got to meet him. But alas, I got to meet the rest of the band. And um, it was funny because about six months later, they were playing um, in a pub in a suburb in Melbourne. And we went along um, because I've got a lot of, I call them my in excess friends and we'd gone along to, to see the show and we knew where they were hanging out afterwards. So we went along and we got to kind of hang around with them while they were after the gig and everything. So it was really quite cool. And it was my birthday that weekend and somebody mentioned it to Andrew Farris. And so Andrew actually sang happy birthday to me. So, Stop. you know, <laughs> my, my minor claims to fame. <laughs> oh, I'd be totally owning that one. What an amazing oh. experience. And I just, yeah. I think it's so powerful sometimes. We, yeah, exactly. When we put that, that vision out, I don't know, sometimes I've sat there and gone, oh, I really want this. I really want that. I'm going to actually, I really see myself doing it and just how it happens. But I have to be honest with you, beautiful Natalie, a bungee jump, that is the last thing, the last thing I ever <laughs> want to do. Tell, talk us about that. Like what was that like? I can't even visualise it, especially in New Zealand. That's one of the largest ones to do. I went on the shorter one in New Zealand, not the big, oh, big one. I don't care. It's still, still hideous. <laughs> um, I don't know. It was just one of those things that, you know, that I always wanted to do. So I was like, you know, if I was going to do it, why not do it in the birthplace of the bungee? Because then in my mind it was kind of like that's the safest place to do it. They know their stuff. They're not some fly, you know, fly in, fly out, fly by night as whatever you want to call them. Um, they know their stuff. So I felt safe. But uh, when we're driving along to go there, I started to – and here's my NLP words, <laughs> I started to dissociate. I wasn't in my body. Like I knew what was happening around me and I could still function and talk, but I wasn't in my body. And so when I was standing up there and, you know, they're doing all the checks and everything, I wasn't in my body. And so that first step, I can't even remember it because I was totally dissociated. And as 
I kind of came into my body as I was bouncing back up and I was like, wow, that was cool. <laughs> um, but the hardest part was actually getting back up the hill because you've got so much adrenaline rushing through your body. I could barely walk. <laughs> It was it was fascinating. I do want to also make note that a beautiful Australian has just honoured and owned the fact that New Zealand did own the home place of the bungee <laughs> jump. I just wanted to note that. <laughs> um, gorgeous girl. I, I, I admire you. I mean, to me, sometimes the, the metaphor, the analogy for a bungee jump, in my humble opinion, is taking a leap of faith putting all your trust that something, someone else, something greater than you has got your back that as we, and sometimes I love that saying, you know, she, you know, come, she, she leaped off the edge of the cliff and found her wings on her way down. And I often think sometimes in life, throwing ourselves for want of a better word, off a cliff or off a, a bungee jump is a great metaphor for being the best version of ourselves or taking the plunge, doing it anyway, regardless of the fear or the inhibitions or the stories that we tell ourselves. What was your greatest sort of, I I don't know, spiritual is the right word, but was there a lesson for you in doing that? Did you feel some epiphany apart from the adrenaline coming back up the hill? (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I think it it was that, you know, that I can do stuff Um, that what holds us back is fear. And what was holding me back was fear um, and that I could, I could do anything I wanted. I just needed to know what that thing was. Mm. Oh, I think so, that's powerful. Um, and if not everybody wanted to jump off a bungee, if they didn't want <laughs> to not? do it, <laughs> just what, was there something else you'd recommend to get the same feeling? Even just standing on a stage and talking in front mm. of a, a large audience, but, you know, I think isn't public speaking that one of the biggest fears mm-hmm. in life for people, even more fearful than death itself? Um, but I, one of the things that I always say, and I say it to my kids quite often, is um, they'll say, oh, I don't know if I can do that. And I go, well, can they take your birthday away? And it's like, well, no. And I go, well, then what have you got to lose? <laughs> and I say that often. It's like, well, you know what? They can't take your birthday away, so let's just do it. And I think that's part of getting older as well. You kind of like, you know what, if you don't ask, the answer is always no. So ask anyway. The answer still might be no, but at least you've asked and at least you've tried. Um, And they can't take your birthday away. I love that. (laughs) I love it. Let's now just divert back to your love of aromatherapy. It's a mutual love you and I have. I just, I would love, you know, from an intellect and someone like you who's an avid researcher, a writer, a incredible um, analyst of oils and their safety and all the ways that we use them, what's what's been your biggest learning over the last decade watching the way that essential oils have literally leapt into all of our vocabulary? I mean, for me personally, starting in the late 80s, it was, I remember Lady Diana um, she spoke of aromatherapy once, and that was kind of the only the extent that I ever heard about it on a world on a world stage, if you like. But from going to such a feel good kind of thing now into this incredibly well revered scientific modality, 
what's been your greatest visual of what's happened to the course of aromatherapy? I think just the explosion of it. You know, when I first started my course nine years ago, there were, I mean, people knew about it, but they didn't know about it nearly as much um, as they do today. And I guess the unfortunate side of the explosion of the beauty of oils is the misinformation. There is so much misinformation and disinformation that is abound, particularly on social media. Um, That blows my mind. Some of the the things that people share, you kind of go, don't do that, don't do that, please don't do that. Um, but you know, sometimes you just got to stand back and let people do what they need to do, make the mistakes that they need to make, that they're on their path. And that's hard from somebody who, you know, I want to help them, but they're not ready to listen. So yeah, I think that just the explosion of information, and I guess that's the same with, with everything that's happening in the world at the moment. You know, there is so much information from all sides of the story. It's like how do you work out what is real and what isn't real? Um, and with essential oils, that's that's a challenge in itself is trying to work out what's good information, what's not so good information. But what I find, and again, this is the, the, um, the headspace person talking, going, right, this person says, you know, that everything's black and the other person says everything is white. So I kind of like, right, let me read both sides. So I actually do read the bad stuff as well as the good stuff or, you know, the supposed good stuff and try and work out what the actual, what's going to work in the real world. So, yeah. Oh, I think it's incredible. Do you, do you think, I mean, I know that we can say this as aromatherapists, I know that you can sit in a clinical space and see what people are saying or doing, but it's not just their own learnings. It's not just their own um, having to find it out for themselves, whether it's right or wrong. Sometimes it can be quite harmful to the industry itself. How do we protect the industry or or the people that are really driven to give the real science and the safe information? How do we protect it? Oh, great question. And it's one that I think I uh, try and tackle myself in my brain going, how do we we get this information out there? How do we share that, you know, there is a better way, a safer way, a more sustainable way? You know, it doesn't always have to, be you know you don't have to use all the oils all the time all day every day there's a safer way a better way you know we need to think long term how do we how do we keep the industry safe I do not know um as I said it's something that I constantly think about um you know about the longevity of our oils and you know all that kind of stuff so I don't have an answer unfortunately mm. but I'll, I'm, um, my stubborn side's kicking in I go right I've got to find an answer for that well I think just continually educating in the way that you do continually giving us the best advice that you have around the safety and um, the protection of the industry and of our oils 
something you said in there, which I find quite interesting, which I'd really love us to clear here is, you know, we know that safety is around the method of use, the number of drops and which oil, but something you mentioned around sustainability we know that there is more lavender, more rose sold on the market. Like I'm talking massive ratios compared to what is actually literally grown and distilled in this world. There are only so many places that grow the best therapeutic lavender. And yet we see way beyond that being sold on the market to someone who's fairly new to this industry or maybe has just got a few oils that they dabble in from time to time. Could you please explain to us, is there a way that we can understand the sustainability or is there something else we need to be aware of as a consumer? I think as consumers, we need to listen to the experts in the industry and the experts in the industry are those who have been around for years who have particular aromatherapy training. There's a lot of people out there who call themselves experts but have never done any aromatherapy training at all. So we need to kind of take that into account when we're looking at information. Look at people who have trained. So I'm thinking, you know, people like Robert Tisserand. He's been around, you know, since his been in aromatherapy world since like the early 70s late 60s something like that I can't remember the exact dates um and he used to be an aromatherapist and a massage therapist and all those you know actually hands-on therapy and then he moved into the research field and he that's what he does now he reads the research he analyzes the data and then simplifies it for aromatherapists to to read and consume and then as aromatherapists we then simplify it further for our audiences but sustainability is a huge um, thing that we all need to to take into consideration and not just in terms of essential oils but you know everything that we use we're a consumer society we you know a disposable society you know cars aren't built to last these days and that, you know, that's, that's the way society is at the moment. Um, but in terms of essential oils, as you said, yeah, you know, there's more uh, lavender sold um, than is actually distilled. So that actually, you've got to sit back and go, how does that happen? What's happening? So there's obviously some people who are doing the wrong thing and, and putting, Um, extenders in the oils or uh, synthetics and jumping on the bandwagon of the popularity that is essential oils. How do we know who to trust in this? As I said, we've got to keep going back to the people who have trained, people like you and me um, who come from that space of of telling you what, what we know about oils. Yep. You know, I, I don't sell oils, so I don't have a vested interest. I don't care who you use, whose oils you use, because at the end of the day, most of them are, are probably from the same um, bigger picture supplier. Um, I care about how you use them. 
should you put one drop or should you put 10? You know, that kind of, I kind of always bring it back to the end user, the home user. Excuse me. What are they going to, what do they need for what they're trying to achieve at home? Um, Do I need to buy a bottle of lemon every month? Is that on a bigger scale sustainable? You know, because it's not just me, but then, you know, my 10 friends who are all buying a bottle of month, um, bottle a month and then they're all their friends buying a bottle a month that's a lot um and people just don't I don't think people fully understand how much raw material actually goes into those beautiful amber bottles of oils um and I try and in um what I do try and teach people to respect and revere the the powerful plant medicine that is essential oils. Um, Yeah. I I think it's so beautifully answered and I'm really grateful you brought it up because one of my greatest wishes is that every essential oil user actually notices every drop. They're mindful of each drop that comes out of that bottle. I have these little kind of personal rituals that every time I see a drop come out or when I'm making a blend, I love to see the drop fall into the oil or sit on top of the water in the diffuser. I just, I really appreciate how much, how much raw material is required to create that one drop. So I'm not a willy-nillier of flicking my oils everywhere. Someone once said to me that, and I'm not sure how true this is, but every teaspoon of honey, and I I, I may or may not be right on this, uh, um, for every teaspoon of honey, 25 bees worked their life and gave their life for that teaspoon of honey. So if you don't scrape out every little bit out of that jar or glass of, of honey that you've purchased, just think of every little bee that sacrificed or gave their life in honour for that incredible teaspoon of honey. And when I heard that many years ago by a beekeeper, actually it was at Gwangana, I was fortunate enough to be there, I've just had such a different um, understanding of every single minuscule part of the honey that I get to you know be so blessed to consume and I took that same mentality into the oils that you know I'll turn my bottles upside down to make sure I get every single drop out of that bottle particularly the more the thicker the more viscous oils like vetiver or myrrh or patchouli where even German chamomile comes out a lot slower sandwood comes out a lot slower and some people may get a bit impatient with that, but I'm always about, you know, they're worth waiting for. Would you agree? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And do you feel the same then around, you know, each drop that we get to be so blessed to have in our world, whether you're using it just as a nice pick-me-up or whether you really are genuinely making a blend or using it in a diffuser or an inhalation for a condition, do you have little... Um, mantras or prayers a bit like your beautiful morning prayer that your I am prayer is there things that you say around the oils that you'd be willing to share um generally just when I'm um making my blend and I'm watching the oil actually fall down the the um, roller bottle so say I'm making up a roller bottle blend and I've got my either jojoba or 
fractionated coconut and just watching the one drop and just as I watch it, uh, the essential oil drop and fall into the oil, I just um, put in my intent for what I'm creating. So if I was creating a blend for sleep support, I would just say something like um, uh, being thankful that these oils are going to help um, whoever. So say I'm making it for you. Um, I'm thankful that these oils that I'm creating for Kim will help her have a wonderful, peaceful, restful night's sleep. And so I just keep saying that intent of what I'm doing. So I'm putting the intent into the creation at the same time. Mm. I think that's one of the most amazing gifts I was taught Ellen, in my clinical training was intent means so much. And this was, you know, over 30 years ago when I was studying essential oils. And I'm really grateful that my teachers who were taught directly by Robert Tizarin were actually taught the same value, the same thing. And if we think about it, plants, humans, we're made up of mainly water and we understand the vibrational energy that that has in saying nice things or positive things when I think his name was Ihimoto or Moto, I can't remember his name, the guy that mm. took molecules of water under the microscope after saying beautiful things to the water and just what an exquisite shape that molecule was when it had been blessed with beautiful intent and thought as opposed to a drop that was placed under the microscope that it had, you know, nasty words or violence or heavy metal banging, crashing music thrown at it, how distorted that molecule looked under the microscope. Now, this is science. This is not woohoo. This is not making this up. Mm -hmm. And considering distillation occurs with the process of water to draw with steam or heat um, to draw that beautiful plant essential oil out of that beautiful plant, then to understand that intention, that vibration, that that frequency that we can then put into it. I actually truly believe, Natalie, that you know, I don't know if I can prove this in science, but I truly believe that that intent is one of the most magical parts of aromatherapy. I, I think so too. It's interesting because on an intellectual level, I go, that makes no sense to me. Like, you know, am I, the sceptic in me, I don't know, but I go, that just, that just seems like woo-woo. But I've actually experienced um, my teacher were, for my diploma year, so my second year, uh, was with Mark Webb, mm -hmm. and he comes from a chemistry background, amazing wealth of knowledge. Like he blew our minds, our heads off that first day in chemistry class, and I don't think it's fully actually <laughs> come back um but he actually created um a blend in class one day and he just poured the oils and passed it around and we smelt it and go oh yeah and then he held it and put in the energy and the intent into that blend so after he'd created he, he you know held it in his hand and put that intent in and then he passed it around and we smelt it again and it smelt different. And I sat there and go, wait, what? How does that work? <laughs> Again, my, my intellectual side goes, that makes no sense. But when you smelt it, it was so different. It was amazing. And, yeah, it it's that intent that 
that je ne sais quoi, that you just can't, the X factor, that you just can't pinpoint what it is. It's that magic. And there's a lot of it in essential oils. You know, we can sit and look at research and the science um, and, you know, people's experiences, individual experiences with oils, but there's still something that we just can't explain Mm. and we kind of have to just let go and trust that it's the right thing for that person at that time. The, one of the things that I remember learning um, was about the constituents of each oil. And some plants can have, you know, a number, a couple of hundred of different chemical constituents that make up that aroma, which consist of, you know, top, middle, base notes, but they also can have different um, frequencies within those constituents. And then what's even more amazing is that some of them we would call a major constituent, so they have a lot of that constituent in it. Some are minor, and then some are trace, trace elements. Mm-hmm. And where Mother Nature is so amazing, science is incredible that we've learned how to recreate the major and minor constituents, but we are yet to really understand how to recreate what we call the the trace elements or in other words the fingerprint and that's where I think mother nature you know she's she's really got it over us and I and I love this about her 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 you know incredible majesty around the majesticness that she holds around this is that that's the the beauty of pure oils is they have an energy a frequency a vibration that cannot be replicated in science What's your understanding as far as a, a lay person or a person that's new to it? Is there a way, in your opinion, that we can understand the difference between a synthetic or a, a pure oil? Or is that really just for the expert knows, in your humble opinion? Um, I think this is, again, where we need to trust, um, put place a, a certain level of trust in people that they are giving us the oils and the right information but you can if anybody can train their nose to smell the difference i remember when we first started training we one of the uh, assignments that we had to do was bring along whatever product that we had at home and you know look at the constituents and the the makeup of it um and see what the harmful chemicals in it. Most of us threw our our products out. And I remember looking at one of my perfumes and I loved um, Ralph Lauren's Romance. That was my favourite perfume at the time. And I was just like mortified when I found out what was actually in it. And each time that I smelt it afterwards, because I couldn't throw it out because it was expensive at the time, I just, all I could smell was alcohol and then just all these things that just irritated my nose. Um, and even now I, I've obviously, you know, over the last 10 years have trained my nose, um, but I can pick up, say, a bottle of lemon myrtle. I know somebody came to me at a course once and said, oh, what do you think of this oil? And I looked at the brand and I'd never heard of it. So I was like, okay, I don't know. And I put it up to my nose and I I just started itching. My nose was like crazy. I was like, oh, my nose is so itchy. And I'm like, hmm, isn't that interesting? And I 
made sure the person was watching me, but I didn't say anything. And I was like, okay, let's go try. And because we're in a, a classroom environment, I grabbed a bottle of lemon myrtle that I, that I knew was a good one. And I put that up to my nose and smelt that. And it was just, I didn't react the same way. And so then I gave it to them and said, see if you can and smell a difference between what I knew was a good one and what I didn't know the quality of and they could compare it and they go oh I can smell the difference here and I go did you see how I responded and I go yeah your nose started itching I go yeah there's something very irritating in the oil that you brought along um so, you know, knowing that it's lemon myrtle, I was thinking, you know, that there's obviously some oxidised um, aldehydes within it and, you know, my mind went in the chemistry mode. But I was trying to show them that there is a difference in smell and we need to start training your nose. And I think anybody can do that. Um, and when you start, just try different oils. Don't try not to get suck it in for want of a better word to buy all the oils all at once you know if you if you want to try lavender go to a few different places get samples if you can test just the lavender see which one you know is right for you because what's right for kim morrison might not be what's right for natalie miller not what I can't even speak now <laughs> might not be right for Joe Blow, mm-hmm. and you know, um, your nose will become accustomed to what you need. I'm not sure I answered your question there, but we'll go on anyway. Oh, no, I think it was brilliant and I really appreciate oh. it. And I think what you're also alluding to is that we're all different and we can be all different at different times. And I think that's the beauty. We are ever-changing. We are not the same person we were five minutes ago to five years ago to 10 years ago. Therefore, the oils also, particularly as they're grown and distilled each year, can have different factors that change their chemical constituents, which alters their ability. And that's something that I love to notice is that when you do go for organic and high-quality essential oils, you do notice their incredible healing ability as opposed to just buying a fragrance because it smells nice. And I think that's something that I've really appreciated in in the three decades that I've been involved in aromatherapy. And, you know, this is a self-love podcast and this is something that I know personally for me, essential oils have been my go-to self-love tool. They really... They really are my 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 comfort zone, my safe place. My doesn't matter who I'm with or who I'm not with. They are the they like having my best friend next to me all the time. And I love the fact that I get to choose different oils at different times. And I love making my blends. And one of my favorite happy places is making a roller blend or an aromatic spritzer or a diffuser blend if it's for myself or someone else. And I really do love that. I have such a joy in creating blends like you watching the drops fall into the roller blend bottle etc but linking it back to the beginning when we spoke about you and your incredible journey the lifelong journey you've been on in self-love I know that essentially you had perhaps a tough beginning compared to many have you 
used the oils in a way that has supported your healing. And now that you have such an understanding of them and an appreciation and respect for them, and not to mention a deep knowledge, do you believe that they can be an incredible tool for our emotional and physical journeys, particularly in healing? Absolutely. Um, Over the last 12 months, as I've um, started to uncover some of those layers and, you know, explore and allow the the heart to open more, I've um, resorted to our beautiful friend, Rose, Rose Essential Oil. She has been by my side quite often. Um, And the other one that I usually have with Rose is um, the... Australian Indian grown sandalwood that's grown in Australia so it's it's divine and I have the two of them together in a roller bottle and I'll just uh, roll it over my heart space and um, either side of my neck and the back of my neck and especially when I'm doing some of that deep exploration into you know what I know and what I'm feeling and and how do I unpack all of those emotions and she holds rose holds me in that loving space so rose has been uh wonderful to to help me through the the emotional unraveling of of my life Mm. (laughs) um but yeah i even i remember in that second year of of uh, training um, I had a fallout with one of um, the other students in the class who was a friend at the time. But that's also when I started to um, work out that I was actually um, had an underactive thyroid. And so I was falling, in, I felt like I was falling into that depressive space again. And um, I spoke with my teacher and he helped create a blend for me and it had... Um, vanilla in it and had blood orange and I can't remember what else um and then if I just want to feel happy I I grab my favorite sweet orange sweet orange just it's my happy place oh well it's not my happy place it's one of my happy places um and it just you can't smell uh, sweet orange or wild orange and not smile there's just something joyful about sweet orange and so if I just need a smile on my face one day because I'm too much in my head that gets me out of my head <laughs> and reminds me that you know life is okay I'll get there mm. so yeah I do use them um, to help those emotional uh, spaces for myself um, I've taught the boys you know whenever they're feeling whatever they're feeling um, I let them choose their oils intuitively so I'll get the big box out and go okay what one do you want and they'll just kind of pick up an oil and every single time they pick and I'll go and look at what the emotions are and I go oh, you so pick the right oil they do it every single time it's fascinating so, um, um, and yeah, I've 
we we do use them for all those kind of things. I use them with the children and when I've helped out clients as well. Um, and that's why I love your aroma cards. Now, you don't even need to understand oils. You just place your trust in the cards, shuffle the deck, pull a card out, and it's always spot on. Same with the, the work of Robbie Zek and her Blossoming Heart book and cards. Every single time. It doesn't, it's, I've never seen it fail. It picks the right oil that is needed for that person every single time. Fascinating. <laughs> oh, honestly, darling, I love, I love that you mentioned that. And thank you about the cards. I know Robbie is also one of my greatest teachers and mentors and just such a beautiful, amazing soul and someone who I really do and have respected for a long time in the industry. She's been around a long time as well. Um, and I look forward to interviewing her on here. I've had the privilege of having both of you in my self-love and wellness mentorship program. Has that been a part? It's not about giving the program a plug. I just want to, I want people to understand the amount of work that you still put into yourself in your evolution of ongoing learning of loving yourself. Has that group had any impact on you in the last 12 months? And how have you found that uh, as part of your own healing and growth? Oh, absolutely. I love going to the group you know we check in every week and that's the accountability that we sometimes need it's easy for us to hide from the world and I'm I'm good at that Um, and you know not facing whatever it is I know there's been times where I'll turn off my screen so that you can't see me because I'm sitting there in tears for whatever reason Um, And it's funny because when I do that, Robbie knows and she'll check in and go, what's wrong with you, Nat? I know there's something. (laughs) It's like, damn, I can't hide from you either. (laughs) Um, But it's definitely um, added to the growth and the path that I've been on. I remember sitting in um, listening to the beautiful Karen Smith. Um, That's her name, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. And her presentation about uh, the stories that we tell ourselves and I was like and you know about that that nothing is true and all the rest of it I was like oh wow wow and it started it was like you know a a jumper and there was a loose thread and that was the thread that final I got the right thread that helped unravel it all you know, I'd be, it felt like, you know, I, this jumper and I'd put, pulling at different threads, but everything wasn't falling apart. But that was the thread that um, unraveled a lot more. Uh, I'm so pleased to hear that because we don't know which conversation, whether it's the Q&A, the challenge, the love seat or the masterclass that will allow that for someone in the group. But I particularly love whether it is the self-love and wellness mentorship group that you belong to or whether it's another amazing group that you choose to be connected to. Just find there's that beautiful, you know, love, create the vibe by loving your tribe. And they they talk a lot about, you know, feeling a part of a community, a part of something bigger than yourself. And my wish 
wish with that was to not only have amazing souls like you guys in the group, but also introduce all of us to incredible souls to inspire us all on our journey. And I just want you to know that you are definitely one of those people for all of us as well. And each one of us has gifts. Each one of us has a story. Each one of us has incredible lessons and amazing teachings that we can each take something from. Your definition of self-love, what would that be? Definition of self-love, what a great question, Um, is to just show up for yourself every day in whatever way, shape or form that is, just keep showing up for yourself. At the end of the day, the only person that you can truly rely on is yourself. So why not befriend yourself, love yourself like you would somebody else, your partner, your children, your significant other? If you can show that love for yourself as you do for others, you know, you're halfway there. So keep showing up for yourself and, and just yeah, whatever way, in whatever way that is. You know, it might be using your oils on a daily basis. It might be taking time out to read a book. And it doesn't need to be a, you know, a philosophical book or a self-help book. You know, if you want to read chick lit, go for it. Whatever floats your boat, do that. If you want to hang out at a concert, which I love to do, that's my happy place, go do that. Whatever Wherever you find joy, go to that place. Find that place more often. And that's self-love. Oh, my gosh. I love that so much. Is there a way that people could follow you and the work that you do? What are your platforms so we can find out more about the beautiful Natalie Miller? You can find me on all the socials. Um, Aromatic Insights is my business. Or my website is www.aromaticinsights.com. Um, I'm, I regularly show up on uh, Facebook and Instagram. Most of my work these days is I'm not actually practicing as an aromatherapist as such. I used to uh, work in aged care, you know, doing aromatherapy massage, or I've taught international students aromatherapy. At the moment, my space is writing for other uh, natural therapists and helping them spread the message about safe and effective use of essential oils and helping them with social media because I know there's so many wonderful natural therapists um, but people aren't being heard or seen on social media. So I've learned, I've taught myself how to, use it in certain ways to to help spread the message so that's kind of where I'm kind of a little bit left of center (laughs) in the in the space at the moment Um, so it's great I've been able to carve my own little space within the the bigger picture oh and you do it beautifully and I'm proud to say that you are somebody who gives a lot of your insights thoughts articles knowledge research and confirmation of what we're doing here at 28 and I just feel very privileged 
to know that we have such an expert involved in in this beautiful space that I hold as well. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for all that you give and do and for all the knowledge that you impart in this amazing industry. I just want to publicly thank you, beautiful Natalie. And just to finish, my sweetheart, is there a favorite quote that you have or a favorite saying apart from your beautiful prayer that we talked about at the beginning, do you have a favorite quote that you would love to share with our gorgeous listeners and your final parting message? Um, My two favorite quotes, the first would be um, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing, but expecting the results to be different. Or in other words, do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always gotten. So that's always driven me to try and see things in a different way. Um, and, and that's kind of where I come from all the time is, you know, there's, there's a solution to the problem. I just don't know what that solution is. So I just need to look at it from a different perspective. Um, and my other favourite quote, again, this is a shortened version of the Maya Angelou quote, um, do your best until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. Oh. So that always just gets me, you know. We're doing the best we can with the knowledge that we have at the moment. So when you learn more and know more, you will do better. And that comes from, um, you know, I come from an education background So it's always like there's always more to learn and the more we'll learn, the more we learn, the better we'll do. So there, I love that quote. Natalie, you're just a cherub. You're a real sweetheart and someone that I truly love and admire. And I just am so grateful to share you on the Self Love Podcast. Thank you so, so much for being with us, darling. And I look forward to seeing you next week in the Self Love and Wellness Mentorship Group. But in the meantime, from my heart to yours, my biggest and most humble thanks. Thank you, my love. I love you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Self Love Podcast. Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family and head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com. Take good care. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.